This is Fish and Fries, an American soccer podcast. I'm Andrew, and this is my co-host, Spencer. We want to bring you an American perspective on the world game. Welcome back to another episode of Fish and Fries, an American soccer podcast. I'm Andrew, and we have with me today, Spencer. Spencer, how's it going, man? Um, Sunday night here now. I'm I'm finally starting to come down off the high of the games Friday and Saturday there, Andrew. We had some, a lot of storylines, a lot to get into with all four of them. We were just chatting before we got on here. We're like, where do we even start? Like... Brazil out, England, France, Croatia go through, uh, Morocco, obviously, first African team in the semifinals, um, Argentina and Louis van Gaal and like uh, Lionel Messi basically boxing on the sidelines, like just so much going on, man. And finally starting to come down a little bit off that high that those games gave me over the last couple of days. Andrew, how about you? Same here, man. It's been really just... An incredible weekend uh, for sports. I don't know why they would start it on a Friday when people have to work and a Saturday instead of a Saturday and a Sunday, but that's my own personal thing with FIFA. Just like, you guys make all these bad personnel decisions. At least make a good TV decision, right? If you don't care about human rights, at least care about people watching your product. Um, yeah, at least, com- the- like, at least compare <laughs> about, like, at least care about consumers, you know, consumer rights. Well, I have the yeah, right to... Like- I should have the right to not have to, like, you know, sit here and sheepishly watch this game on my phone while I'm supposed to be doing work on Friday, you know? Exactly. Like, you know what? Here, FIFA, I know you love bribes. I've got $30, 30 American dollars, if you could just put this shit on a Friday, Saturday, next time we have this thing. Because you can still just play the, or uh, I'm sorry, a Saturday, Sunday, right? Like, that's actually where I want to start, is just, like, the ridiculousness of this whole thing of, they take an arbitrary amount of time off because they don't give every time equal. You know, it's not like a competition thing, right? They're not giving every team equal time between games, right? Not always. So it's not that type of thing. And then they just start with a, just a Friday, just an absolute just fuck you to people working, trying to get things done. Um, when you have Saturday and Sunday just sitting there for the taking. Just grinds my gears. Completely frustrated. The only good news about it being on Friday was that that – uh. That Brazil-Croatia game went to penalties, obviously. And by the time it was in penalties, I was on lunch so I could, like, watch the shootout and stuff (laughs) and fire off a tweet and just go, you know, quasi-viral, you know, like we did with that little (laughs) uh, sad Wolverine with the uh, Brazil-Argentina one. (laughs) So, you know, hopefully we got a few more people listening after that one. That got a lot of eyes. But, yeah, man, um, I'm with you. I'll – I'll double that thirty dollars. Let's just make it a clean sixty. And I, I don't think, um, I don't think there's a way Johnny Infantino can say no to sixty cold hard American bucks, man. So I know I, I'll Venmo. I'll, I'll do whatever you need, man. Cash um, app. I'll download whatever <laughs> app I have to. I would Apple go Pay. Get cash from a bank. I'll do it. I never do that. I'll do it if it's the, yeah. If that's the I, case. I can venture to an ATM. <laughs> um, I might have to give him like a surcharge then if I have to go to the one up the street and they charge me like four bucks to take 30 True, bucks out. Then it's he's, like he's 54 90. Yeah, yeah. It's just tough. But still uh, that's a, know. that's, I, I feel personally like that's a, 
that's an offer that Mr. Infantino can't refuse. So uh, I'll be forwarding that to the FIFA office after this recording and see what we can do about it, Andrew. Absolutely. Uh, Let's get into the games, man. Let's start with that early game on Friday. Brazil, World Cup favorite. My pick, which is the kiss of death, right? Of who do I want? I can pick anybody. Who is going to win this whole thing? Brazil, Neymar, sitting at home as the Croatians move on. What a game, man. What a game. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> nah, 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 nah. Hey, hey, hey. Goodbye. Goodbye, Brazil, man. Um, Yeah, well, we'll get into your whole snake draft thing from the last episode because you are not sitting too good with that, my friend. But uh, it's not Qatar getting out of the group of six, getting out of the group stages. So hey, uh, I had I had a kiss of death with like the group stage hot takes. You know, got a little wacky, but I I would say the curse is the kiss of death is fully transferred to you at this point, my friend. But well, uh, we can we can roast you on the picks at another time or what? You what? You got a rebuttal? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do. Um. I, and I or, I said this before, I think, on here. Every year I organize the March Madness pool. I love getting everybody to watch the games and everything like that. And this, and for money, right? The second it starts, I immediately root for chaos, right? As soon as the USA was out in this, right, I picked Brazil. But I'm not going to sit here and really hold a lot of water in that because I picked Spain before that. So I'm not going to hop on too hard on the bandwagon. Basically, in this next round, whoever I think is going to get through – They'll be sitting at home watching the finals. So just fade me, make some money here. Or you can just follow Spencer's pick, who's been absolutely – he's been hot on Twitter. He's been hot on DraftKings. He's everywhere right now. So hot on DraftKings. What a weekend for your boy, but we don't have to get into my <laughs> personal ventures here. But let's just say the England-France game uh, – well, both games yesterday I did a double slate, and that went really, really well for your boy. <laughs> but let's, let's just say if someone's going to be able to bribe FIFA in the next coming years, if Spencer stays hot, we're going to get our Saturday-Sunday. We, we might be moving on. We might not even need the sweet, sweet podcast monies from like a DraftKings sponsorship if I just keep <laughs> railing them in contest. But – let's uh (laughs) let's uh let's talk about the game actually here though um yeah dude croatia um i I guess where i want to start with this one is and we can go back in time a little bit but my big thing was how shocked were you watching this game like after the neymar goal and stuff and it's like brazil is just going to cruise through this one how shocked were you when Croatia found that goal late in the second period of stoppage time, man, because it was one of the like moments in sports that I can remember that I was just, I kept the game on. Like we said, this was the work day and stuff for me. So I'm, I'm leaving it on, but I'm like, yeah, they're just seeing this out. This is all over. And I'm walking uh, actually to the break room, like to grab my lunch for my lunch break, listening to it through an AirPod, kind of seeing what's going on. And, all of a sudden I hear, oh, and Croatia with an attack. And I was like, no way, right? And I you know, grab my phone, look at it, and watch that ball ripple the back of the net off the deflection. I'm like, holy fuck, man. What, <laughs> what is going on? What was your reaction when you saw that? No, so, so I had the opposite, right? I was able to watch most of it. And then something happened at work right after, like probably two minutes after Neymar scored, but of real time, right? So I, had, I was watching it and I'm going, wow, Croatia came out and played their thing perfectly right took the life out of the game croatia always is playing for penalties 
and Neymar in Brazil come through with this beautiful Brazilian football, right? Tiki Taka almost through the right through the Croatian defense. Neymar looks like he takes it too far, roofs it, right? Goal of the tournament, and I and then something happens at work. I gotta be like, okay, whatever. Um, I still had one earpod in, but I had it muted, right? So the the thing on my fo- the phone on my desk was still running with it, but I couldn't hear or see any of it. I finally get back to my desk at that point, and you had texted me <laughs> about how insane the game was because you were watching it at lunch. Um, I believe my exact words were "Oh my fuck." <laughs> yeah, I, it was. If it wasn't that, it was very close. But it was. So basically, I, between the two of us, we saw all the important parts of this game. Um, collect, collectively, Fish and Fries reporting live, but just just an insane, just an insane game. And just like to actually talk about the game a little bit, right? But Croatia plays their, you know, they muck the game up. They have this great midfield. I think they outplayed them in the midfield, right? The defense does enough. The goalie comes up huge a couple of times, right? And I just didn't. After that Neymar goal, man, I just didn't think – I thought there was no shot Croatia pulls this back. No shot. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. It was just when – it was a nice move too because, I, like I said, I picked it up and looked right before it and kind of saw the cut in, and I was like, that's dangerous, and falls to Pekovic at the edge of the box and puts his laces through one, takes a deflection off of – I can't remember who, but beats Allison. And then at that point, I'm like, they're – they're going to win this thing. I, I thought as soon as that happened, I was quite confident Croatia was going to win this penalty shootout. A, because they've done one already and just a little more privy to it, I guess, in that sense. And B, once the penalty shootout started and particularly once they got through like four, like three or four shooters and we hadn't seen Neymar yet and they send up Marquinhos to keep a penalty shootout going, man. I... Like, like, and we, I don't want to go uh, like too far ahead, but Argentina got it right where they just sent Messi out right away and said, let's just set yeah. the tone. Let's, let's, let's get our, we're, we're not going to end this. Forward. Yeah. Right. We're not going to end this with Messi not taking a shot. I, I couldn't understand the look. If you want Neymar to shoot last to potentially clinch it, okay. But you should have, um, if you're Chiche, changed the order and got Neymar to shoot. Like, you can't send Marquinhos up there with your tournament on the line. I, I just didn't get cool. that. I didn't understand I, it at all. Craziness I, I, to me. The hindsight is very easy, right? Like, and especially because like Argentina does the opposite, right? But maybe Argentina would have sent Messi out if Neymar wasn't, you know what I mean? Like, who knows? Like, they see that and they just go, "Oh yeah, probably not a good idea to have our best player like maybe not even take one if it matters, right?" But no, it's Petkovic who has that late goal for Croatia, and then this is how they got to. Was it the same round last year or last time they did this, right, in the World Cup? Wasn't it two straight penalty kicks they got through um, before they got in and lost to France? I think it was. If it wasn't, they had – I know they had at least two big Croatian PK shootout wins. I, I do right, believe. On, the, really good, on, their, on the way to their really good run last time. So history literally repeating itself minus uh, Ivan Rakitic and uh, Mandzukic. But – just an incredible game. Like their goalie came up huge um, a couple of times. The guy's name is Livakovic. He he, he's been so good. He's got to be probably top of the chart for a keeper of the tournament right now, for sure, I'd say. Um, yeah, him, him so and the Moroccan goalie, I think. Yeah. Did Bono, you, uh, yeah. 
Yeah, Bono, yeah, Bono as well, which we'll get into him. Bon, oh, yeah. I think it's Bono technically, but I'm just going to call him Bono because yeah. it's a beautiful day. But um, <laughs> Bono <laughs> beef. But uh, yeah, man, this uh, Lavakovic. Have you seen the um, clip that's going viral? I believe it was from a while ago of like him and Modric talking. Mm-mm. And I, I guess uh, you know this is this is not a visual platform, but I'll just explain it. it. Is it's him and Modric having a conversation, and I don't know at what point this is. I had no context of it. I just happened to run across it while I was you know crushing beers and watching UFC last night. And it stopped me in my tracks, and I was like, "What is this?" And it's basically Modric just talking to him about um, he. Livakovic, that is, he tries like too hard to not make mistakes or something. And like Modric is just telling him, this is one of the best midfielders of our generation is like, everybody makes mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. You can't play scared. And like I said, I have no context to as, I should have done more homework before I bought this up. I have no context to like as to when this was. This might've been before the tournament. This might've been four or five years ago. I don't know, but Either way, this guy is playing free right now. He's playing freely, and he's been amazing between the sticks for them. And he's had some amazing performances in front of him, particularly a guy that both of us would like to secure the services of, Yasko Gvardiol. This guy, it feels like he's just adding commas to his price tag at this point, Andrew. (laughs) Yeah, he's absolutely adding price tag, uh, adding commas to that price tag. Chelsea tried to sign him in the summer. Red Bull made the financially uh, prudent decision of we're going to hold on to him for about six months here, see if we can get an extra forty million out of you, and they probably will. And if not from us, might be might be eighty million more now. Well, I mean, forty million. I'm sure we're already overpaying them. You know, Chelsea's never got a good evaluation on anybody. We'll pay whatever you tell us. But uh, they had a uh, he. He just looks really good in the back, right? He passes well with that left foot. He stepped up a couple of good times in this game too. And, you know, holding Brazil, this Brazilian attack, right? And it's when you quantify Brazilian attack, having a guy from like Everton on one way, you know, starting at striker isn't the most famous Brazilian attack we've ever seen in a World Cup. But like Rafinha has been super good in this tournament and they got Vinicius and they've got Neymar and they've got Richarlison. And then just nothing, just, just, able to neutralize it for you know more than 90 minutes and just very very impressive very very impressive from the Croatian side and it took as you referenced like just an amazing amazing team goal to even get the one for Brazil um and look we can do the Brazil conversation in a second I want to just not get out of this just completely without acknowledging Croatia because I think I've seen a lot of people online kind of go in on Croatia and say that they set up so negatively for this game and that they just wanted to make this uh slug fest for 120 minutes and take it to penalties. I, I got to say, I disagree, man. Cause I think Croatia, look, if you're going against a team like Brazil, you're never, there's no team in the world that has more offensive firepower than this Brazilian team internationally. They are, the predominant offensive force in world soccer right now. Um, you can't just go at them. Like if, if any team goes out there and they try to go chance for chance with this team, you're going to lose They're, You're just flat out. You're going to lose no matter what 99 times out of a hundred. What Croatia did, I think is they didn't go about this completely negatively. They didn't go 
No, full on. They didn't go full on Sean Deitch, 4-4-2. We're going to put 11 behind the ball, and we're going to get maybe two counterattacks and try to score on one of them. Croatia had some chances, man. Croatia had a good amount of chances, too. They could have scored in the 90 minutes, I thought. They had Mm -hmm. just as good of chances as Brazil did. Now, that said, did Brazil control a little bit more possession? Did Brazil look a little more positive than Croatia? Absolutely, but they're going to look more positive than any international team you line up against uh, that they line up against, I should say, sorry, but I thought Croatia got their game plan just perfectly right for this. Um, like I said, the, the one goal they did give up was beautiful. Just poetry, poetic goal, oh, yeah. like a poetic team goal. Like you said, it's gotta be up there for, if you're an appreciator of nice team goals, gotta be up there for one of the better goals of the entire tournament. Oh, and yeah. I, I don't have his name in front of me, but the Croatian manager, you know, um, fair play. I think you got it perfectly. I think you got all his tactics right. I think he set this team up perfectly, and they're moving on, Andrew. And, like, just just my personal pet peeve, play your best game, right? Going out there, and, like, Spencer said this, but, like, if Croatia tries to go out there and play the way Brazil plays, they're going to lose, Right. People getting mad that like, oh, they didn't go out and attack enough. And I think they did a pretty good job of managing that. They weren't the most negative team. But anybody getting mad at the way like a team plays in this tournament, they're obviously trying to do what's best for them to win. We would all like to watch beautiful soccer, right? It's the beautiful game. It's better the way Brazil plays it. But play to your strengths, right? If you have a great running back in the NFL, don't throw the ball 60 times a game. Hand it off, even if it's not that much fun, right? Like, do what's best for you. And you have to understand, like, that's that's what Croatia was doing. They have great players. They have good skill players, right? They got Mondric. They got Perisic. Kramaric up top has been pretty good. Petkovic gets the goal late. And I think their fullbacks were good, too. I think Sosa and Juranovic, but... The idea that, like, oh, Croatia played so negatively and stuff like that. Well, if you didn't like it, I have horrible news about this Argentina game they're going to play. Because <laughs> guess what? They're going to set up. They're going to try to control the midfield. They're going to try to get you 1-0. And they're super fine if it goes to penalties. And why the hell wouldn't they be? Yeah, they're, it's working out pretty well for him so far. I just thought I wanted to stand in for Croatia and say that I don't think this is like there's more negative teams and we'll get to other ones. I don't want to say it in a, I'm not, I don't mean negative in a negative manner. If you follow what I mean, but like there's more defensively stout and set up teams that are remaining in this tournament as um, we'll get to later on. But I think Croatia, they, they do try to play. I don't think it's there as negative as they're getting a rap for here, but um if you've got nothing, do you have anything else on Croatia? Or you want to go into Brazil talk here? No, I, I think it's I think it's time to well, <clears throat> excuse me, we'll have more on Croatia as they have more games to play, and they've got honestly a very interesting matchup that we will get to here. But Brazil going out again here, um, it's two straight really quarterfinals, tough. man. And like any other country in the world, pretty ecstatic about two straight quarterfinals, right? Unless you're Brazil or France, really, right now, right? you're you're lucky to get to two quarterfinals and they just something's just not quite right right they don't have the injuries that France has and France got it done they've got a couple injuries but they were just not they were not quite up to par in this tournament it was really surprising to see them not take take the game from Croatia 
I think the problem is I very astutely pointed out in our last podcast is that they need to be playing competitive games against CONCACAF teams and to see different parts of the world. So if they had a few competitive yeah, these, these, against, Brazil, these, these sheltered Brazilian players have never played. Sa- well, Hey, if you know, <laughs> well, if, if Neymar they, if would they, stop hiding at PSG, I think that's a great thing. Richarlison at Everton, he's not seeing a lot of crucial football. Uh, or Richarlison's Tottenham, a Tottenham, even, right, man. even less, yes. even less. <laughs> well, at Everton, at Everton, at least you got relegation to worry about. Look, all I'm saying is that the U.S. probably would have played it pretty similar to how Croatia <laughs> played it, and if they played competitively against us, maybe that would have been beneficial to them. Do um, does Ecuador and Peru and Ecuador probably- made the World Cup? Ecuador puts your or not? Uh, yeah, Ecuador made the World Cup. Before. Yeah, no, but, but I'm saying like you know Chile, like those countries probably set up the same way, but they see a lot of Brazil. They should just maybe see some different people, but. In all seriousness, um, <laughs> please play us. We need the experience. Please, please, please. But for real, in all seriousness, yeah, this is, uh, like you said, this is a huge win for most countries to get to two straight quarterfinals. And it's an absolute travesty for Brazil, which speaks to the expectations that they have bestowed upon themselves. Um, look, that's kind of... When you pair that with them losing the Copa America final last summer to Argentina, like that's, mm-hmm. you know, what that's a historically kind of bad run for them. Um, we alluded to it even, I think, last podcast when we did that snake draft of the only reason neither of us picked them pre tournament was just because we thought, yeah, the chalk favorite really never wins this thing. Something wacky is going to happen, happen to them at some point. And, here we are, man. And I, I, I don't, honestly, I, I don't know what you do to try to counteract this um, thing. But I, I think the only thing you can say is that UEFA has just got kind of a leg up on everybody else. It's UEFA and everybody else. Obviously, Morocco are in the semifinals from Africa, but UEFA has got a leg up on everybody else and we're all kind of playing catch up and I, I don't know how Brazil gets past that, but they, they're going to have to figure out something, man. Well, and like, is Brazil very far off? No, they're not right. They have probably the best attacking talent in the world outside of France, I would say um, just with their guys, but there's just something with this team has just not been able to get over the hump. Um, I think the thing I would, if you're going to point to anything, I think it's probably you would point to the midfield here, right? As kind of where they're lacking their ability to control the game, right? Between Neymar and Vinicius Jr., right? You've got two of the best attacking players in the world, and then Richarlison and Rafinha, and then even like Anthony off the bench, right? They've got, if anything, like too many attackers, right? They've got too many different options up there. But as good as Paqueta or Paqueta has looked in this tournament, right? I don't think this was his best game and Casemiro's been been good for them. But um, the fact that they don't really have a third guy to put in there before they're already like, okay, well, are we going to play Fred? That seems horrible. Like (laughs) that's not what anybody wants to do. Like I thought Bruno Guimaraes might make some, you know, noise in this tournament. Right. I think he's been playing well for Newcastle and he just, their midfield just hasn't been, been it right and then you look at the back line and it's old like Danilo is not a 
you know, like if you're talking about anything with Brazil, right, you're talking about right and left backs, right? Historically, they've been the best in the world at those two positions for a long time. Danilo's not getting in there. And then they're playing Militao on the right, who's really a center back. It's kind of a mishmash team here once you look at it. The names forgive a lot of it, but now that they're out, it's easy to kind of look at it and go, well, that's why. I honestly felt um, watching this game, I've kind of seen this script before. Like, I, I don't know. I I see your point about the midfield. I, I thought the midfield was kind of fine. I, I didn't like they didn't win them the game, but I don't think they lost them the game. It just it felt like it's a city fan. I see this in the Champions League depressingly every year of like a team that's superior um, attacking well and they just don't have that it factor to kind of put those chances away and they well, but get punished they for can't it. Kind generate. Of it's it's more that they can't like control the game through midfield the way they should. They have good attacking talent. I mean, when they put it together, right, it's hard to do against a team sitting that far deep, but we were just talking about that would be the goal of the tournament probably if it wasn't in a losing effort, right? Like there's a lot of time for the goal of the tournament to happen here, right? There'll be a more important goal, but Neymar and they they work that goal really really well and I just I don't know I, I'm if I'm going to be critical of anywhere it's not going to be the attack they, they have attack certainly there. yeah I'm not criticizing the attack per se I'm more just saying that they just kind of lacked that ability to just get the last ball like it was a beautiful team goal like you alluded to I, I guess if I'm really going to criticize anything it's probably just that at the end of the game they were still kind of going for it and they could have been. Like, is it just a moxie type thing where if they had, they were a little more savvy about how to kill these games off? Like, I think that's the big difference between the European sides and a lot of these other sides because they are playing so many competitive fixtures and particularly a team like Croatia or even a Switzerland or something, which obviously Switzerland got battered the other day, but um, these are teams yeah, they, they that... They did a bad job killing the game off Switzerland. Yeah, but <laughs> these, these are teams I'm more saying that are just very savvy to kind of like the dark artsy thing of being able to see a game through and like win ugly. I, I don't think that's probably my biggest criticism of Brazil is they don't seem like they know how to win ugly. Um, yeah. And I, and I think a lot of that comes from the mid, like just not having that kind of class in midfield, right? Croatia is able to play the way they're able to play because Modric and Brozovic and Kovacic are only going to ever let it be so bad. You know what I mean? Like if you have those three sitting back and doing what they're going to do, there's not going to be gaps to exploit outside of the one, right? With this Brazil team, it's as soon as they were on the back foot, right? They're great when they have the ball and they're attacking, but you're bringing in Fred. Fred played. They had to make a substitution, and they're like, we got to get that Man United guy on the field. Who do we got? Fred back there? I got to say, man, Fred sucks. Fred is not a Brazil-level international player. Because um, I think historically you'd say, like, if anybody's got the dark arts down, it's Brazil, right? I mean, they're not a team that doesn't have the killer instinct and doesn't have that historically, but this group right now does not have it. I, I just think, yeah, it's to me more of a – game plan thing of like maybe this team it kind of similar to the spain conversation like mm-hmm. this team's still relatively young i mean obviously not neymar it might be his last world cup we'll, we'll yeah, see what happens crazy. there um a guy like casemiro's older and stuff which is that's where it's weird to me is a guy like casemiro who 
very much has that moxie and know-how to win. We've seen it so, time the, over time. Yeah, king we've seen it time over yeah. time at Real Madrid. And um, I just think as a whole, this team didn't have that because they were still trying to play pretty free-flowing football in the second extra time when they had the lead already. And I'm like, you know, just it's okay to just pick a corner flag or just kind of play around with possession at the back and just kill 15 minutes off. And yeah. they, get, they get caught on a counter at the end. Like that's just, to me, that's decision-making and that's lack of a killer instinct in a way yeah. of just not knowing how to kill this game off. And I guess if I'm going to criticize anything, it's just the fact that they, I think, played that whole second period of extra time wrong and they should have played a smarter, had a, a smarter less attacking game plan. I, I get trying to go for it. You don't want to be so, so negative and just sit. If you're, one nil, back, up, there, if you're one nil up in the 138th minute, which is what it seemed like, mm-hmm. you're not going for it. You have it going for it. It's just, it opens up. It's exactly what Croatia did to you there. Sorry to cut you off. Man. I'm not, no, but yeah, but I, like, I mean, that's we're we're talking around the point of, I just, I agree with you on the same thing that it's mm-hmm. just, uh, yeah, you want to not be in- insanely negative or anything, but at some point, yeah, just pick a corner flag, uh, boot the ball Ooh, away. Dude. Yeah, you, you don't don't get caught on the counter. You can't. That's the one thing that you can't have happen well, and, is getting caught on a counter like they did. And and to bring us into the next game, and I can't believe there's like a more exciting game played on the same day, right? But I think the Netherlands Argentina was a more exciting game on the same day there, and Argentina after their horrible horrible. Like, couldn't kill the game off. They had it. They had it 2-0 until late, and they couldn't quite get it there, man. It was yeah. hell of a fight from the Dutch, but, man, did I think they had that sewn up when Messi nailed that penalty in the 73rd. Voot, voot. All aboard the voot, voot train. Yeah. Voot, voot is correct. I, uh, <laughs> I told Andrew the other day, I don't know if there's ever been any singular sporting event that has made me look fucking smarter than this Netherlands versus Argentina game, because I picked Argentina to win, obviously Mm pre-tournament, my pick final four looking great. And I obviously early on, if you stuck with us through this tournament, I told you guys, I am chairman and CEO of the Voot Vague Horse fan club. And my boy goes out, scores two goals, forces extra time. And I, it was just the start to a just such a hot weekend for me as we detailed the DraftKings thing a minute ago. So your boys just I can't miss right now, Andrew. I can't fucking miss. Well, and like the the Voot Weghorst comes from you having his FIFA his I don't know what is it rule breaker FIFA card like last year. So it's like just that, a fat. It was a fast Voot Weghorst with right. No, um, no, no. I know. I mean, it was amazing. But yeah, and that's to have him score was incredible i was dying laughing that that's who scored too because he is uh let's say tall and grounded and i did not think that that's who like the play was going to be drawn up for on that second one i we're we're getting ahead of ourselves here but like kind of argentina really had this game sewn up through 80 minutes like it did not look good at all to me for the netherlands well i i think we can almost do the same thing that we did for the last game of what was your thought when that free kick with the very last kick of the game, basically they, what a fucking set play, what a set play. And what are you thinking when that goes in? Cause you texted me right away with something similar to what I said in the Croatia one. I'm like, Oh my fuck. Or wow. Or whatever the <laughs> hell it was. But, um, 
I, I, I will say, you know, not not holding it against you, buddy, but you were about four seconds ahead of me. So I was watching it. They were going to kick it. And I had the little banner pop down on my phone of like, wow. And I was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? What, like the suspense for those three <laughs> well, seconds and- was like, whoa. To anybody listening, that is the golden rule. If you're texting somebody about a game, you can say, wow, wow can be anything. What a play. That can be anything. You cannot text. Woot puts it away. We're two to one. We're back here. That's right. not what you can say. That's the golden it rule was... of texting. Anybody, anybody listening, if you're watching a sporting event, some people are streaming. Some people are watching on a little bit of a delay. You can text them back and forth about it. You have to be general until you know they've caught up with you. We it took us a while to figure this out, but we that is the jet that is the golden rule. That's the golden rule. It was just open ended enough for me to be like, like what's is it? My first thought was yeah, goal, but then I'm like, but what if it hits the crossbar? What if it hits a save? Right? Yeah, yeah. What if it's a crazy save? What if it's this? And then like you know, before I got to my final thought, I was like, oh my god, it's in the net. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, dude, like when that one goes into like that was more almost more shocking than the Croatia thing, just because like you were saying, it was, I think it was like the 83rd or 84th minute when they got the first one. And Netherlands didn't look like they had much about them the entire game no. until those last seven, eight no. minutes. And uh, look, Argentina played an amazing, uh, we'll, we'll get an extra time in a minute, but they played an amazing 82 minutes in this game they looked two really good minutes (laughs) they looked so far and away the better team and i had basically just once Messi had that penalty i was the same as kind of you alluded to i was just thinking that well uh fair play netherlands you beat the u.s but this is one step too far for you I, i believe i tweeted something out like after Messi got that penalty, I was I said, <laughs> if um, you thought the U.S. could hang with this team, then you're an idiot. Because if VVD and uh, Yuri and Timber and Nathan Ake are getting toasted by Argentina, then what do you expect for Walker Zimmerman and Tim Ream? God love the them. But Tim Ream slander stops right here, bud. <laughs> for, for a fellow St. Louisian, a St. Lunatic, it's very hey, upsetting to me. I, I love me uh, some Tim Ream, but um, he is not any of those three, and I. I I still my, would maintain. To my knowledge, none with. of those back three have a man bun, so I don't. It's a completely different game. Virgil's uh, got like that little half bun. Yeah, doesn't count. No, not compared to Tim Ream. Put those two man buns up against each other. You know, who I'm taking all day. I, I would take Tim Ream's and Walker Zimmerman's over his, but that's true. No, nonetheless. I was just going. This is just a long winded way of saying that Argentina kind of played them off the pitch. I felt like all up until that point, until the Voot Voot train came in and kind of rescued them, but uh. Yeah, I was just, I was shocked when that second goal went in. Went well, in and, Andrew, and, and after that first goal, like, oh my, my dumb brain just goes to like, all these Dutch dudes are really tall, and I don't, I Nicholas Otamendi is back there for Argentina, who you've heard me say it before, like he's not a big center back. I know he's good in the air, but like, that's what my dumb brain goes right to is like, throw it. They're gonna, they're gonna pass it to the tall guys. They're gonna put it in the box, and that's why the play, Louis Van Hall absolutely just pushing the perfect buttons is because when they were lining up to take that free kick, never in my mind, in Argentina's mind, in anybody in the stadium was like, this ball's going to stay on the ground. We're going to utilize Woot Weghorst on the ground instead of putting it up for him and De Jong to try to knock down and knock in because they even had center backs up on that, right? Like, <laughs> it was incredible. They go to a shot with 
the goalie, right? Because they're like, you got to bring the goalie up, right? They're talking about bringing up Noppert, who's like 6'8". And he's like turned around the other way, not watching this free kick because he knows, and in hindsight, it's because he knows they're about to not cross it up to their big dudes who can hammer it in there. They're going to run a finesse play to Woot. They're going to run a finesse play to Woot, man. Yeah, just what a one of the better like fake outs I've ever seen. They grounded the jumbo airliner, boot fake horse, just banked it over to him and just let him just kick it in the net. It was quick. Look, I, nimble, nimble in the box. Nimble. I love a, a nice like Benton free kick. Don't get me wrong. I love like mm-hmm. direct yeah. free kick goals. They're amazing. Like James Ward Prowse does it. It feels like every week in the Premier League. And got to find him some American godparents or something. <laughs> something. But I, you know, sit here and I'll cream about how great those are. Uh, that said, there's like nothing better to me than just a perfectly rehearsed free kick routine like oh, that. Beautiful. They've obviously worked on that just completely caught Argentina out with it. They weren't ready for it in the slightest bit and send it to extra time. And for most of that extra time, I don't know how you felt. We can move forward into that. I It felt like the Netherlands were more likely to score through that whole extra time to me. What about you? Yeah, there were a couple attacks from, from Messi and those guys. Um, the only other thing I want to say before we even get to extra time is these guys – this was my favorite game, I think, of the World Cup, not involving the U.S., because I thought they were going to fight the entire time after that hard tackle. And I think it's it was Fernandez. chippy out there. He drills the ball. It's the hardest hit. You know, like they show like the miles per hour on these shots and things like that. And when people run, I want to see the miles per hour on him drilling that at the bench with a very old Louis Van Hall sitting over there. It broke the, the scale, entire- I think. And then the yeah exactly. And then the entire Dutch team is ready to fight them. They've got like, I think it was a Malasia M A L A C I A the the left back for United right. This who's a small guy and he's out there going to fight everybody. And it was just, it was great. And then they come back and score just like a beautifully chippy, well contested. Like everybody's angry and everybody has a lot of passion game. Like. One of my favorite things about soccer is when everybody's on the verge of fighting, but everybody knows they can't really fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and- it was it was beautifully chippy. Um, I like obviously when Messi scored the penalty and did the uh, celebration at the Dutch bench. That was, <laughs> you know, it was just it was there was so much to get into, and I, it mm-hmm. was chippy and beautiful and lovely, and I, it continued the whole time. Like. Um, I don't know. I, do you have a ton about extra time or you want to get into the penalty shootout? No, I, I think we go to Penn's. Um, it was almost like once they had the or once the Dutch had like committed to this, like we are knocking the ball forward. We are trying to get a header on it when they had to go back and play real soccer. They were a little confused because let's be honest, Woot Weghorst and Luke de Jong should never really be on the field at the same time. Like if you're trying to win a soccer game, like, by playing actual soccer. And I think the lineup was kind of weird for that, but they had, you know, you had to do what you do to get there. Right. So, but yeah, man, um, penalty kicks. Emmy Martinez is some sort of psychological monster on penalty kicks. And I love it, dude. I pretty love it. I think he also has a, uh, part-time gig. Cause I guess maybe Aston Villa is not paying enough, but <laughs> I, I think I've seen those, uh, moves in the back of a, 
music video at some point. So I did not realize he was a background dancer on the side, but yeah, he, he does that. And then he intimidates witnesses in his free time. He just goes up and people think they're going to try to score a goal. And he just walks right next to him the whole time telling them, I don't even know. I can't even imagine, but I'm definitely not going to repeat it on the podcast here if I knew what it was, but like, I think he's, I mean, you saw it in that freak in the penalty shootout. I think it's against Brazil, right? In the Copa America where he's, all the dark arts, the most competitive person it seems like in the world. And like, you want your goalie to be a crazy person. You do. Like, 100%. And and he comes up huge, right? Like no offense to Noppert, who's like 6'8 and should be the better goalie. But wow. I I was very, very impressed with Emmy Martinez in the uh, penalty kick shootout. Really the whole Argentinian side. We talked about Messi being the first one to take it, really setting a tone. Noppert didn't have a chance on that one. And well, then on the other side too, uh, Virgil Van Dyke, first one of the shootout. They, I, I think, the Netherlands chose to shoot first, and right away, I mean, Martinez just set the tone on Van Dyke by it wasn't the best penalty from Virgil, I'd say, but it was a solid save. Like at least Virgil did the thing we complained about, where he hit it hard to his side, just a little too mm-hmm. central, but at least he put some pace behind it. Yeah, the, the penalties in the, the the last couple penalty shootouts have been at least better. Like we've seen someone, somebody. I can't believe I can't remember if it was that game or uh, the Croatia one, but somebody like I saw just laced one into the God. I wish I would have written that down because it's exactly what I was talking about. It just they hit it hard and it rippled into the side netting. And I'm like, there's no keeper in the world saving that. It was no, amazing. It's Harry Kane's first penalty. We'll get out to all that, but like that. Oh, was like yeah. a, that no, but like that's like the beautiful penalty where everybody's like, yeah, yeah. couldn't do anything about that. Can't stop it's that. Incredibly hard to do, and we will get into all of that later. But like, <laughs> but like you talk about an example of like a perfect penalty. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, right off rip, though. Um, I mean, Martinez just sets the tone, stops Van Dyke, and Argentina's playing from ahead from the start. And they missed the one, but I mean, Martinez had a couple more saves in him. And bye-bye, Louis. Uh, night-night yeah, for the Louis. Dutch, Andrew. Yeah, and, and he's already stepped down, which was pre-planned from the tournament. But – uh what a way to go out, man, with, I mean, I hate to bring it up, but like a masterclass against the U.S., right, outcoached us, pulling just all the right, pushing all the right buttons, getting the most out of this Dutch team with the set piece, right, and everything else, and just, God, what a way for like a legend to go out there, man. Yeah, and if they would have somehow found a way to win this game, I we'd be sitting here just completely going on and on about the <laughs> like masterfulness of him to get them back into this game. Because like you said, I like, it's not the ideal way to play a game, but just bringing on to young and Voot and saying, all right, bet you guys are short. We're just going to take it to you. Just pull all the right strings, the set piece, obviously it would have been amazing. Uh, the only last thing I have on this one is um, the like lines in the penalty shootout, the guys that are sitting back like fighting each other in the middle of the penalty shootout while guys are shooting. It just goes into that chippiness. So this, this thing, it it was boiling over from basically that moment, like you referenced of um, it being kicked into the bench and a lot. Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I don't think legally these two could play a friendly. I don't think you could literally classify it as one. I don't think, I think you'd have to at least call it an exhibition, right? Yeah, yeah, you have to call it an exhibition because you might see something kind of gross. You might see, 
Um, but no, what a what a game. And it was not the last good game. Really, honestly, all four games were kind of incredible, to be honest. Um, but moving on to the Saturday one, we got the early start there with, I mean, the surprise of the tournament. And I don't think it's necessarily even close here, but Morocco taking it to Portugal 1-0, walking off with it. Moving on to the next round. What were you thinking watching this one, man? Did you think they were going to be able to hold on? Yeah, I, I honestly, I did think they were going to hold on because Portugal wasn't offering much late no. in that game at all. Um, early on, they had some chances. They had some good looks. Uh, Bono made some nice saves. That one save he made off of, oh, who was it? It was beautiful. He went like full extension, tipped it over the bar. That was amazing. Uh, he was my keeper in that lineup that did pretty well that we referenced. So I was sweating that out a little bit, but I love the saves, love the two points. Um, but yeah, honestly, after about what the 70th minute or so, Portugal didn't really do much and they weren't giving me much hope that they were going to find a goal, Andrew. And and is, is that the crazy part that it was like, I didn't ever really, especially like that goal from N. Nesri, he just jumps so high in the air. I thought the goalie, I thought Costa had it. Diogo Costa had the, the goalie keeper for uh, for Portugal. I thought he just had that. And then he just kept going up in the air and knocked it in. And from then on, I never really felt like Portugal was going to grab this one. They didn't give me any of that feeling like the Dutch team gave me or anybody else. They just, for a team with this much attacking talent, they even bring in Ronaldo pretty early there in the second half. But like, they didn't have firepower. They didn't. They didn't look like they were on the same page as a team in this game, I felt like. Um, basically, everything we were saying about them prior to the Switzerland match seemed to come back to life. And it seems like the Switzerland match was the exception to the rule. That was the outlier in the group of them playing that well and looking cohesive because the rest of this tournament... Obviously, they beat Uruguay, but Uruguay had, you know, we, we talked about them. It's a big disappointment here. And mm-hmm. that game was closer than the 2 0, I thought. They obviously lose the game to South Korea. And um, I forget, Ghana, the Ghana game was tougher than it probably should have been for them. So it seems like they kind of in an opposite way, the cream rises type of thing of they regressed back to the mean of what we kind of thought they were going into that Switzerland game. And that was the exception to the rule, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. I I think the thing that I know I'm basically just the guy who talks about midfields at this time, at this point, I know that, but like, if you would have told me like one of these teams has two guys on two of the best teams in England, right. With Bernardo Silva and Bruno Fernandes, Bruno Fernandes, and then Ruben Neves and Otavio, right? That's four really pretty good midfielders. They got bossed out of the game, like by dudes we've never heard of, really. You know what I mean? By like these dudes who are playing in the French league and that kind of thing. Good players, right? Playing for Morocco, but they couldn't get a foothold in the game. Their attacks didn't feel very difficult to defend, right? They always kind of just had five guys back there and knocked the ball forward. And then it felt like every time Morocco got a got a step, right? Hakimi gets a step, right? And he can play it up to Ziyech. And then they got in Nezri making a run and Bufal's been really good. They felt so much more dangerous, right? If you took the names off the jerseys here, you would never think of Morocco being the underdog in this game, right? Just by the way they, just by how they kind of commanded the game. Yeah, and I thought 
frankly, and I don't want to sit here and say that Morocco, I referenced earlier, if there was teams that played more negative than Croatia, it would be Morocco, not to take anything away oh, from them. That's their that's their personnel though, um, their personnel and they're they're playing to their strengths more. They are giving up a lot of possession and stuff and sitting back pretty deep, but mm-hmm. they're launching counters and they launch yeah, good counters. counters. Yeah, they've launched good counters and honestly, if their finishing was better, they, they might have had a few goals in this game because some of their shots were horrifying. But um, obviously, like you said, the the one where he rises up, and I, I should say that my boy Ruben Diaz and Costa and Net that neither of them are covering themselves in glory on that. No. One. That was horrifying miscommunication. I don't know what you want to call it, but neither of them looked good on that one. Um, El Nezri, like you said, he, he rises up just crazy high in the air, and that's awesome. But that's got to get but cut like, out. <laughs> the, other, the other thing for that though is like that's his game, right? He plays for Sevilla. He's not some like unknown guy, right? Like he plays in a major league. They play like. These guys have seen him before. It's not like when we give the guitar preview and we're like, they play in the guitar league, so they're okay, right? Like he's a he's a not a world class striker, but he's a very good player, right? Like that's the book on him is he can go get it up in the air, right? Sevilla puts in a ton of crosses. To not like have better communication on that is like it had to be on the scouting report, right? I I gotta think I gotta give it to the goalie on that one because the goalie's either gotta call it or no he can't get that high, right? He's not the biggest goalie in the world. Diogo Costa's, you know, a very good young goalie. It seems like right. He kind of got the surprise, not the surprise start, but I think a lot of us expected it to be Rui Patricio because it's been Rui Patricio for the last I don't know what thirty years, give or take. It seems like playing in uh, these games for Portugal, and we'll never really know, right? Who should have called it and stuff like that but if costa calls it and tries to go for it there he's gotta get it right like that's you know i don't want to help out any man city players they don't need any help on this podcast they're getting enough from you most days but i gotta give it to costa on who's at fault for that right and i would agree um i would just say that i think it's goes a little bit both ways like ruben diaz is a lot of it's been injury but he's Falling back a little bit. He's not what he was a couple of years ago. Um, they've been going a kanji a lot in our like a kanji and stones a lot of the time. Even Laporte's falling out a little bit. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I think this is more a story of if you're Portugal, um, you should have the talent to be able to make a mistake like that and be okay. And they just they look disjointed, man. They didn't have they didn't really offer anything going forward. I thought. And, you got to give credit to Morocco. Obviously, part of that is their game plan that they frustrated mm-hmm. them. And as you kind of referenced, I didn't think Portugal's midfield really ever got into the game. Like Bernardo Silva was looked really off of it. Um, he Bruno he played, Fernandez, but I didn't right. see him do anything. You right? barely that's noticed crazy for Bernardo Silva, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah, he um he never seemed to get into the game. Honestly, um, Bruno Fernandez, you noticed him a little bit more, but a lot of the time it was him being frustrated that he couldn't find any space or anything. Um, Did you see his, just while we're on him, did you see his comments after the game of him saying like, Oh, I can't believe they gave us an Argentine referee when Argentina is still in the tournament. I'm like, yeah, if you think the referee is really the reason you guys lost that game, then I I don't know. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, I thought the game was fine. Like I, I don't remember any of it now specifically like glowing things or anything like that. Like I do with the, fact that like nobody from Argentina or 
the Netherlands got like a yellow or a red card for that whole thing where they blast the ball at the bench, right? Like there was nothing big that stuck out like that with the refereeing, but like I would love to play poker with just the Portuguese team as a whole because the entire team seems to be incapable of concealing their emotion, right? If we were playing poker and they got dealt like a pocket aces, there's no shot that they wouldn't do some sort of celebration or fist pump or whatever, right? And I'd be like, no, I fold. Or if they got crappy cards, I'd be like, mm, well, they all look like they're about to uh, <laughs> say something horrible and blame someone else. So I guess I'm going to be in this hand because Ronaldo looked like he was having a terrible time. Bruno Fernandez always looks like he's having a terrible time um, if things aren't going well for him. Like the body language on these guys is like crazy. I would say like the only two real chances they had right, that stick out in my mind is that long ball up to Ronaldo, who takes it first time, you know, like, and it would have been a kind of a classic Ronaldo goal. And then I did think that one really, really late to Pepe. I thought that was in the goal, right? Yeah. It's a header. It's like inside the box. He's basically not unmarked, but gets a clean head to it. And it's just like a foot wide of the goal. And outside of that, man, just really disappointing. I did think yeah, Joe Felix was pretty good in this game, but um other than that, man, not a lot from this whole team. Not a lot. Yeah, it's it's a team we, we said at pre-tournament that I, I think for them, in a, in a vacuum, making the quarterfinals is a pretty okay tournament for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They have very high expectations, but I think if you told them coming in with all the drama and stuff that they would have been pretty happy with the quarterfinals. Um, that said, if you told them, oh, you're going to get to a quarterfinal and you're going to face Morocco – no disrespect to Morocco, but if you're a Portuguese fan, you got to be like, oh, we're going to the semifinals. And that's, <laughs> that's not the case. Um, right. And, and we should, sorry, I'm going to say we should turn this to Morocco a little bit and not just say that Portugal lost this game because Morocco won this game. Um, I thought, and yeah. I've been impressed with them, man. Like, look, it's, it's a team that I, I think every time they keep winning these games, we're just like, yeah, they're, they're, fast and they run around a lot and they're good and very well look, organized yeah they're, they're really well organized and this is a team that we got to see before the tournament i, I know it was making the rounds on us mint twitter of us beating them three nothing and being like are we one of the four best teams in the world um <laughs> but they fire their manager after that and the new manager he's got them organized he's got them drilled and he's got them playing a style of soccer that really suits his personnel um it's something we criticize with our team of like, we're not yeah. getting our, we're not playing a style that suits our personnel. Um, he, he's playing this team. He's, he's lining them up perfectly and he has them all well drilled, disciplined. And uh, look, if they were a little more clinical, like I said, they could have had a few more goals in this game against Portugal. And they really frustrated this Portuguese team, Andrew. Yeah. I, I think weirdly my takeaway in this game, and this is someone who we, we played FIFA together is, Hakimi's better than I thought he was, right? Like, if you've ever played FIFA, he's an incredibly frustrating right back for PSG. He's so fast. You know, they they give him, like, the FIFA cheese more than you would expect, right? But he's so good in this game. He's just such a pure, like, energy, right? When he gets on the ball, he just takes off, right? He just makes it work. He's basically like an Alfonso Davies that isn't forced to push forward like he is for Canada, right? He's just sitting at right back and he's going to expose you up that right flank. And he looks really good when he does get forward in the attack too. Like he had a run in this game that drew a foul that was, 
he like pushed it past, skipped over somebody, oh, like yeah. dribbled yeah. another guy, drew a foul like later in the game, broke the pressure, and I was like, Jesus, man, like I'm with you. Yeah, um, and and he didn't even seem to be trying. He just was like, oh, I'll just go past all these guys. Like it was a very like gliding run. Like we refer, who do we reference that with last pot of there just like gliding through the midfield, but um. Eunice Moose always said how he's just gliding through kind of a lot of the time, it seems. But I'm with you. It's it's the PSG thing of we don't get to see a lot of PSG. Um, we're getting to the next game of like Mbappe is just better, I think, than we realize sometimes. It's just crazy to say because mm-hmm. he's so, so good. But we only get to see him in the Champions League, really, um, unless you have fucking BN Sports in America, which is difficult. <laughs> Stop doing but- that. Yeah, there's, there's a level of sickle I'm not going to go to. I got to watch um, Leo play. It's like, no, no, you don't. I love Tim right. too. Don't do that. <laughs> but um, yeah, Hakimi's been really good. Uh, Ziek, obviously, your boy. Maybe adding, you know, another zero onto his price tag, hopefully for you guys when you do have to sell him. But yeah, I, I think uh, I think Ziek has been really good. Um, you know, he he's still got, and even you know, this is even true in Chelsea games where. He's, you know, been of kind of a frustrating figure, but when he brings that left foot back, man, anything is on the table. He could put that ball on a dime from 50 yards out on the right-hand side, right? He can find the back of the net with it. Um, I've also just, and, and I, I always have really liked Ziek, right, as a player more in theory than in practice for Chelsea, but like watching him play and compete with this team has been like, oh, of course he's so frustrated, right? Of course he wants out because he's willing to put in the little work, right? Of course he's, you know, wants to play with a good team and stuff like that. And, you know, he he didn't get an opportunity to do that with uh, with Chelsea. But I, I also want to talk about, and Nesri has been really good for them. Their midfield's been good. And then Buffal, right? A guy who, I think, what did he play at? Southampton for a little bit, right? Yeah. And it's just like, look I thought he retired. Guy. No, exactly. Well, I mean, you go to the French league, it's kind of like retiring. They call it the, co- the you know, <laughs> farmer's league. Right. But like um, jokes aside, you know, he was fine for them. Right. He's one of those like attacking players. But what do you do? You know what I mean? Is it's always like, OK, it's hard to put you into a box. Right. You're not taking free kicks. You're not bombing up the right wing. You know, you're not. What do you do? He's been very, very good for this team, man. And then Saïs at the back has just been phenomenal phenomenal at the back another guy i thought retired um i just want to wrap up on this one and then we can segue this we'll stop thinking about you well yeah i was gonna say that's my way to segue this to france in a second is the french league i think you're yeah he's been fantastic too but uh your thought in the french league is yeah it's like is the french league now that you put it that way is, is it as simple as you're either a guy that washed out of like the premier league or la liga that's just a bit not at it, or you're this fantastic young French midfielder that's at like Nantes or Bordeaux right. or something that's and, going and to get just sold. Getting ready to go to Madrid, right? It's yeah, just like Madrid or this year. yeah. <laughs> well, you either go to Madrid and you're good, or you go to like Arsenal or Tottenham and you're bad. That's that's the only two outcomes. <laughs> or or you can or like there's the uh, not quite Madrid, not quite Arsenal route, which is you go to Bayern and then you're like. Remember uh, Taliso was on the yeah, team yeah. and he was like, oh, he's going to be like the next guy. And now it's like, I don't know if he's okay. Like, I haven't heard from that guy in a long time. Like, 
But um, no, I, I think the French league, if you're not playing for PSG, is like when a good hitter's not playing well in baseball. And they're like, why don't you go down to double A? We've got a, you know, for the Iowa Cubs, they've got some other shitty team coming into town this weekend. Why don't you go, you know, hit 300, have a couple homers, right? Get the mojo working again. And then we'll call you back up for international soccer. And we'll, we'll have you roll in here, Simone Buffal. Well, I think it's like almost the equivalent of um, in the NHL, you see it of there's these guys that are the AHL, if you're not familiar with hockey, is like the triple A. Yeah, the minors of hockey. And there's guys that are like insane in the AHL, but just not quite good enough for the NHL. And when they come up, they can't do much. And then they go over to like the KHL in Russia, which is like the second best professional league in the world. And they are amazing, which is just yeah. the French. The French league is the KHL of European soccer, I guess is what I'm getting at. Right. You never really know what you're getting, right? When you buy mm-hmm. somebody from France, it's like, Sometimes it's Xiaomini and sometimes it's Bakayoko. Yeah, and I, I can I can promise you that in hockey, you never know what you're getting when you get a guy out of Russia. Like some of these guys come over, they're amazing. Some of them are terrible. But let's segue the French League into the French national team, Andrew, because that is our last of these four quarterfinal matchups as Les Bleus are moving on over the English. And it is not coming home again, my friend. Yeah, it's not going to Brazil. It's not going to England. I'm real torn up about it. Um, yeah, man, another really good game. Um, starting kind of early, just with that absolute rocket from Xiaomeni. I know you could make the argument maybe Pickford should have done better there, but I think Xiaomeni rocketed that one into the left corner, and I don't think Pickford could see it. But just the the nightmare start for England, right? It's not Mbappe putting you on a poster. It's just a dude from France from 30 yards where you didn't close him down. It's Mm -hmm. just like, it's like an effort play, right? Bellingham, I think is the one who like doesn't quite get to him quick enough and they make him pay, man. What a shot from Sean Manny. It was a rocket into the corner. I think that you could be, if you're really critical, I'm not going to sit here and say Pickford had like neat. He should save that. I think it's just the type of thing of if you want to beat France at this tournament, it's a save you would like to have from him. Well, and it's, it's what Lloris did, right? Lloris, they were talking about it through the whole broadcast. Didn't have anything to do. No shots on goal, right? All of a sudden he's got a lot to do. And he's like, Oh, I'm a world-class level goalie. Right. And Pickford is just under that, right? Pickford's, I think, a very good goalie, right? I think he does a lot of things well, especially when you talk about distributing and stuff like that. But he came up a little short today, right? He he could have made a game-saving, a game-changing save early, and he couldn't get to it. Couldn't get to it. Do you think there's maybe – I have a conspiracy theory when it comes to Jordan Pickford that he's just like – when you grew up, did you ever have those kids you hung out with where if they drank like one too many Mountain Dews or something, they were just a little jittery and just a little too hyper and stuff? And that's, I, I think that's Jordan Pickford just <laughs> as an adult. Yeah. I, I think there's maybe some. Everyone in England sees him like walking with a monster energy drink in the morning. They just go, fuck. I'm more thinking that maybe. You know, maybe he went for like he only had like one Starbucks double shot energy before the game instead of like the three he normally has. Somebody told him to chill out a little bit. He seemed a little tamer. Oh, than I see what you're saying. And maybe if he's all juiced up on his 
you know, monster energy or rock star or rippets or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he gets to that ball. That's all I'm saying, Andrew. I'm not saying that's why he didn't get there, but I'm not saying it is right. We don't have any evidence to say that has nothing to do with it. I, my theory about Jordan Pickford is if you think of famous British people or characters, let's say, right, who purposefully go with kind of a bad slick back haircut, they either don't save from Shao many and don't ki- or they, you know, kill Dumbledore, right? Draco Malfoy is the only other guy trying to rock that haircut. And it's, you know, I mean, there are worse looks you can have. God knows I can't talk about haircuts to people, but you're really going with that all the time. So aggressive with the gel, Jordan. It is like, tough lettuce. It's very, you know, and like he seems like the guy that would tell you, like, well, it's about aerodynamics. Uh, you know, uh, I really just need to be able to get to the ball as quick as possible. But um, he didn't. And Rocket from Shawmany, I don't want to take away just because we want to make fun of Pickford, you know, and his everybody in England always calls him dinosaur arms. So um, there's that it, as well. But like France did start off in the front foot in this game. Yeah, I thought they were the better team early. And like I said, I think it was asking a lot of Pickford to stop that. It was a rocket from Chowmany. And France came out the much better team early, I thought, in this game. They really were kind of on the English, pending the English back a little bit, which is they, they alluded to it on the broadcast of these last couple big games that England's come out and scored early and then they've coughed it up late. And they kind of went for the opposite approach here. And... Mm-hmm. Um, I think we just move it forward. When they got to half, France looked pretty comfortable, but England really came out flying in the second half, Andrew. They kind of almost played the French off the pitch most of the second half, I thought. Yeah, I, I thought it was a really... And they had like some pockets of sustained success, and they England has such good players all over the field that it doesn't take more than one or two good passes, and all of a sudden, you know, it looks like they're threatening when maybe they're not as much, but... You're right, man. In the late first half and majority of the second half, they were the aggressor. That penalty was well-earned right from uh, like that penalty. I Like the phrase they always use in soccer is like that penalty was coming, right? Mm-hmm. That goal scoring opportunity was coming and it'd been coming for about 20 minutes of game time, which is way too long if you're France. Yeah. Um, England were all over them early in the second half, especially. And I'm completely with you. It felt like the goal was coming and this game will ground you because it's Chow Mini giving away the penalty after he scores that rocket early. Let's yeah. England right back in Harry Kane steps up. And as we referenced earlier, that penalty was, it's, it's about as good as it gets as far as a penalty. It's beautiful. It's yeah. just a huge, it's, and you talk about the the game coming full circle. Who did uh, Chow Mini foul? Bellingham, the guy who couldn't close, who didn't close him down. Mm-hmm. So, you know, even just more full circle. And then Mr. England to tie Ray- Wayne Rooney buries it in the back of the net. Uh, a general, genuinely a very, a beautiful penalty. Uh, Larice had no shot at it. Right. But um, yeah, man. And I, I think then the French responded really well. It, it's like each team needed a, a goal scored against them to like wake them up like the smelling salts almost a little bit. I think I actually maybe disagree because I I felt almost the entire time after England scored, it felt like they had the next goal in them. And then France kind of got a weird counterattack, I thought. And um, there was that not a miss. It was a great save by Pickford as we we criticized him earlier. He made that great save off of um, Giroud. And Mm -hmm. then, 
ball went back into play and they just played like another one in quickly and drew <laughs> the French forehead. Just the French forehead gets there, puts that one in. It felt like I, I fired off a tweet about a save from Pickford and like no sooner than I fired off that tweet, um, they're, they're throwing Griezmann's throwing another ball in and it's off uh, Giroud in the back and that two, one to the French Andrew. Yeah. Uh, Giroud is, I mean, one of my favorite players to watch just cause he does what he does and he's, incredible at what you know what i mean like he only does what he can do and he can do the spectacular people think he's just this you know french forehead right slab head type of thing but he'll go for the spectacular man didn't need it with this one here but just like a just a beautiful goal just just a beautiful back-breaking goal for england right and i i agree i think it was totally back-breaking because i thought they responded to their penalty well and they were still going for it and still looked really good um and that's just a backbreaker to have to be playing as well as I thought they were um, and just have one going at the other end um, on Giroud himself, uh, as far as him, not just being a forehead, like you're saying, mm-hmm. look, it's, it's a skill. Trust me, as somebody that watches the team where like now Holland's there and it, it definitely helps because he's making those runs and being in the right spots a lot. But I, I've watched a team that plays beautiful, beautiful football and they didn't have that guy that knew how to be in the right spot. It's it's an art, it's a skill and an art in itself to know how to be in the right spot. And he's been there. It seems like all tournament for the French Andrew. He's been, he's there anytime they call him for France, and like that's Giroud's thing. Like, there's always going to be a shinier toy, right? And like for especially with Chelsea, right? Like, there's always going to be a shinier toy. There's not going to be a better toy, right? You know what I mean? Like, there's a shinier, newer, younger toy. But when it comes to just getting balls in the back of the net or assisting people or being in the right spot, I think he's pretty good defensively with headers too, right? If you need him to cover somebody in the box, I think he's good at that too. Um, I, I have a lot of love for Giroud, right, as somebody who watched him for a long time. But I a tough goal here from France, man. A tough, tough goal from France. And then they started making a lot of subs here is what we kind of have next. And then the big penalty call here against my boy Mason Mount. You thought it was a penalty, right? You weren't. It was a hundred percent a penalty, and Lucas Hernandez needs to like I don't know buy <laughs> buy Harry Kane a I don't know a freaking season pass to Six Flags or whatever the fuck the equivalent is over there. He's got to buy him something because he gets completely bailed out because it's one of the most. It's the type of thing you're just watching, and look, I, I understand we're not elite level athletes and I couldn't even probably be in position to track Mason out there, but I'm just like anybody with eyes is just like, what the fuck are you doing, man? Why are you plowing him over? Like what, what is, what was your goal going into that? To me, he looked like, I mean, we all watch NFL football here, right? You know, when like your top two cornerbacks get hurt and they start bringing in guys you've never heard of and they're off the practice squad. That's what t- that's what Lucas Hernandez looked at looked like late. He looked like a guy you've never heard of trying to track some world class wide receiver, and he knew he was fucked, so he just pushed him down. It's like, yep, nope, just give up the penalty because I'm not getting mossed here. I'm just not. 
Well, that's like a great reference because it's like, you know, watching American football, like one's thrown over the top and the corner, the safety or whoever knows their beat and they just tackle them because they know it's going to be a touchdown and they'll just take the, they'll take the pass interference because it's better than giving up the touchdown. But there was no touchdown. If it's American football, the ball was 15 yards over his head. Like it's going out of play. Like I just, oh, it was, it was one of those things where if it happened to, like my club team, like, like obviously I'm a neutral in this game. So I was, and I, you guys can sit here and be like, you shit on England all the time. You didn't want England to lose. I thought England was hard done. And I'll get to that in a minute, but it's, it's like, what, what do you think? Just turn your fucking brain on. Like the, the Wolf of wall street thing where they're like, Robbie, turn your fucking brain on. We doesn't know Moby Dick. I'm just sitting there yelling at my TV. Turn your fucking brain on Lucas. <laughs> Well, and like, and that's why I said it was like, it looked like your third or fourth string, like cornerback or safety. Cause it looked like he knew he didn't have a chance. Right. He just like, Oh shoot. Mason Mount got behind me. I'll just tap. I'll just push him to the ground. I think the reason it's not initially given as a penalty is because it's such a bad play from a guy like pretty well thought of, right? Like both Hernandez is for France are like pretty well thought of internationally, right? They're, they're good players. And to see someone just make such a baffling move is the ref, I think, just went, well, I, I it couldn't have been a penalty because, you know, they're all good at soccer and they wouldn't just push him over for no reason. That's, of course, a penalty. And then they looked at it and it was like, I guess he just pushed him over. Shit. All right. England, go ahead, man. Well, I think he probably just saw the ball was like Mason Mount's never getting to that ball. And he's like, oh, like he probably just was like, whatever, it didn't matter. Like the NFL rule is that it's not pass interference if the ball is not catchable. So I think maybe he was just in that mind space of he saw the ball, he saw it was sailed and there was no chance. And he probably just looked away straight up. He probably just looked away. and was like, yeah, it's going out of play goal kick. Let's make sure nobody in the midfield is getting <laughs> chippy or anything. Cause the game was a bit chippy and stuff as well. But yeah. Oh it, man. All, all in all, Taylor Hernandez, one of the worst, conceding of a penalty i've seen in a while right because he's the only one in the box right larice should we talked about ruben diaz not getting the call off or getting the call off larice like didn't even say anything because of course he had it it was 10 feet over his head right like i understand as a chelsea fan i i understand that probably a lot of other teams don't really love mason mount he's probably kind of annoying so if you get a chance to just push him over and you think nothing's gonna happen maybe you take it but uh just just a horrible thing and then this penalty from Harry Kane, man. Like, uh, it got more horrible. It got so much worse. Um, this is how you know, bad I know that was, Andrew. England's had, England's had a lot of issues with penalties, so I hesitate to like wish more ill will on him, but that was so bad from a guy who's so good. This is how bad that was, Andrew, is that I think that if you've listened to this podcast for any amount of time, you understand my feelings about the English when it comes to soccer. I felt bad for Harry. I felt bad for I him felt, too. I felt so bad for him because this is a guy that's been everything for them. And I mean, he gets them the goal in this game off the other penalty. And he's been, look, I guess he's had less goals in this tournament, but he's had like, I think four or five assists or something coming into this game. Yeah. He's been so good for them through everything, through like the Euros, through qualifying, through all the Nations League, all of it, through the mm-hmm. World Cup. And it's the type of thing like i said um i guess that's the that's the bad thing that can happen that if you hit it hard into a corner and you miss it it, it's going to stick out a lot more than it getting saved i think just because it's Mm -hmm. the it's the not even 
making the keeper work for it type of thing. Like at right. least you, you made a guy get lucky, right? If you take right. a horrible penalty, but it's on target. Uh, I think I want to say it was Stu Holden doing the commentary for this game. Um, I'm not entirely sure if it wasn't him, but the color commentary was really talking about at the last second, um, Larice fakes one way, right? Which was clearly the way Kane was planning on going. So then he tries to adjust and that's what makes the ball just go into the ninth row of the stands. But I don't know, man. I, I, after he took it was like, he had the best and worst penalty of the tournament within an hour of each other. Like this game is uh, insane. Game I, is I don't think it's, yeah, for sure. And it, it's, it's a bad penalty. I'm not sitting here defending it. Like it was good. I, I, I still agree with the, hit it hard and go for a corner. Like I think the ones that Japan took in theirs or Spain, I think those were worse penalties still, even if they made the goalie work. I I think I go the other way, man. I I watch a lot of Jorginho penalties and like not even giving it a chance, like not even giving the goalie a chance to fuck up. Right. Is insane to me. Um, Especially if you're going to take two in a row. Like if you're going to do something on one, I think you do something different on the other. They talked about it more on the first penalty than they did on the second penalty. But like, to anybody who doesn't know, these guys have played on the same team for like seemingly 10 years, right? They take penalties against each other all the time. I don't know if that makes it more difficult or less difficult for one of them, but it was, I, I, I had no faith. He wasn't missing that. I I felt bad for him. I felt bad for him. I, I thought yeah. he was drilling. it. I, I thought as soon as it happened, I was like, this is going in the net and it's uh. What, I don't think we have to get in the conversation of the penalties, like whatever. It's just at the end of the day, it's still just over everything else. It's a horrifying moment for Harry Kane, probably the yeah. most horrifying moment of his footballing yeah. career. And England had after that penalty, um, the one that stands out to me, obviously, is like their biggest chance was that Harry Maguire chance off the set piece when he headed it just wide right off that big old slab. Just yeah. wide of the post and um, wraps up two one to France, man, and yeah. they're moving on. And the the one, sorry, the one for me is that Ra- I thought Rashford was going to be the hero, man. They have that free, on the free kick, kick right outside of the wall. He, it's like the same spot he drilled that one from a week earlier. He's kind of England's golden boy, right? He does all the good stuff. He's on this redemption tour with Man United, right? And being such a difficult situation for him there over the last couple of years with Ronaldo I was like in my head just as even as a Chelsea fan I was like oh, Rashford's gonna drill this penalty he's gonna go back to United they're gonna run this offense through him it's gonna be horrible and or not penalty but free kick and it was not far over man it landed on the roof but it I, th- I thought he had it I thought he had yeah. it the last kick of the game yeah you're right that one was very close too and it definitely put a bit of a shock into the system seeing that one but um overall man on this game i i left this game feeling like like i expressed a minute ago not just the harry kane thing um i felt bad for england i thought they played better than france in this game and i honestly you know what it felt like it it felt like a it felt like they got real madrid real madrided kind of thing where like real madrid does this in the champions league of we, we talked about moxie with um, or lack thereof with the Brazilians. Um, France obviously won this tournament last time we all convened and you can tell they still got that moxie about them where they know how to win a game. Like it seems like no matter what, even if they aren't at their best, even if they're getting outplayed a little bit, they find a way to win these games, Andrew. 
Yeah, and I, and I think it's important we just don't focus on the England side of this, right? Um, Mbappe's been the best player at this tournament, hands down. Giroud's been incredible, right? Um, Kingsley Coman's been a little bit of an adventure, just talking about guys playing up front for them. I much prefer Dembele playing for them. But, like, with as much as they're missing in the midfield, like, this is truly, like, a very, very impressive win. 100%. And... I would agree with you on the Kylian Mbappe being the player of the tournament so far thing. That's part of the reason why I left this feeling bad for the English is they had such a good game plan to neutralize Kylian Mbappe because this was by far his worst game of the tournament. He mm-hmm. Kyle Walker was really good on him. There was only a couple times where yeah. uh, there was one where there was one where Mbappe, which is it, it was it was a fun race to watch because especially like I obviously get to see Kyle Walker a lot. He's one of the fastest human beings I've ever seen. He's not usually good for your mental health though. No, I have problems you, with him. You have, but you have your complaints, yes. I have I have my problems and my complaints with his game, but um, speed is not one of those complaints. I think, if anything, he's over-reliant on his speed at times. And it was so fun, that one race where Mbappe got him into, like, it was one of the only times Mbappe kind of got around him a bit, was uh, Mbappe kind of faked like he was going to hold up and Walker, like, bit for just one second. And Mbappe just took off and watching those two, like two of the fastest human beings that aren't Olympic level sprinters, just going down the sideline and competing against each other was awesome. But England had such a good game plan to kind of neutralize Mbappe in this game. And they did for the most part, like he wasn't in on either of the goals. He had a couple okay crosses that didn't lead to anything, but he was really, really quiet by his standards and (laughs) They get beat by the French forehead, man. And Griezmann. Griezmann was really good in this game Griezmann as well. Griezmann was really good. Yeah, I, I wanted to shout out one one guy on each team I thought had a really good game that we didn't talk about. Um, Griezmann for France is so much different than Friesman, Griezmann playing for anybody else, right, in my opinion. This seems to be the only place, and one's because he plays with Atletico and, you know, got to play more defense than anything else, but... He just finds the pocket of space. He puts the right ball in. He does it. He does the right thing. I, I thought Griezmann played really well. He gets the assist on that Drew play. And then I thought Declan Rice played really good for England, right? Letting Bellingham get forward and do his thing. Declan Rice, I thought, really, really played pretty well, too. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I'll, Bellingham, I have thoughts on him because he is – talk about adding commas to your price tag. <laughs> but – one more thing on Griezmann is just, I, I think that, you know, like we said, not the most tactically astute people in the world, but what I saw from my American brain was um, because they had such a good game plan on Mbappe, uh, they were they were giving Kyle Walker help a lot, and they were getting yep. two guys over there, and that left, Griezmann kept sucking back into that space, like when they had two guys sucked onto Mbappe and kind of ISO him on the outside, Griezmann was trailing and just take like taking that space that was being left that was vacated by those two guys going on to Mbappe and it was there all night and he kept playing nice ball after nice ball into the box he got the assist on both the goals and yeah great game for him but um on to the some of the English guys like you said Declan Rice I thought their whole midfield was really good and as a U.S. fan it selfishly had me feeling pretty good that our midfield kind of outplayed their midfield because they were so good the transitive property of we're better than France's midfield yeah Um, (laughs) but yeah Henderson continues to kind of impress for me because I he was even good yeah he does with Liverpool um he just plays with like a weird energy for England man I know he does that for Liverpool too but 
it's so much more noticeable, I think, with uh, England because at Liverpool, everyone plays with a crazy energy. Yeah, there's like time. 10 of those guys. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's 10 of those. And then the goalie. And if you're not one of those 10, you're gone. Klopp is not putting up with it. So to bring that like sense of urgency into the game, I think is, is really good. Um, the only guy I thought that did not play very well was Sterling when he came in, right? Saka played incredibly well, right? Sterling comes in for Saka, and I hate to say it, man, but like Sterling came in, ground that attack to a halt, I thought. Yeah, he didn't look like he was as at it as the rest of the team when they were in there. And he's got I, a lot going on. I don't mean to not yeah. say, you mm-hmm. know, but bring somebody else. But it, it looked it looked just like that. It looked like he was a guy that hasn't been training with the team of late and had other things going on because he just, he never really got into the game. I thought, I don't think he did anything super negative necessarily. Just he, he, you didn't notice him, which as somebody who's watched a lot of Raheem, Raheem Sterling at the very least for better or for worse, you're usually noticing him out there and he, and he just yeah. kind of blended into it. He never got into the game. It felt like the, the thing that's slowly driving me nuts about him with Chelsea and I noticed it today for England just because whenever a Chelsea guy comes, you know, somebody who plays for your team comes on, you want you want them to do well, right? But he doesn't ever want to play a long ball, right? And I get that he wants to play it short and then run behind and play a one-two and that kind of thing. But he was on the ball in like the close to the end of the game, right? Probably the 90th plus. And what they needed, they had guys forward, was like push it out to the right, put it on your better foot and cross it into the box. And he didn't. He, like, put his foot on the ball and, like, hung out. And it was, like, it was killing me. I was, like, get forward with the ball here. Um, but I think that said, Saka's really good, man. Saka's really oh, good. Yeah. He's really good, and he's going to torment us for a while if he stays at Arsenal forever, which he probably will. But I'm um, really rooting for Real Madrid to come grab him. <laughs> it's, it's becoming that level of just, like, hey, Madrid, come on, 100 million. Give Arsenal 100 million. Just, just give it to him. <laughs> But the other guy I want to talk about as far as places you don't want him to go, and you've referenced how Liverpool just plays that rock and rolly thing, is if Jude Bellingham goes there, that that's really concerning to me because he was all over the place too, man. I know you said like maybe could have closed Chouamini down a little better on the goal, but mm-hmm. he's all over the place at fucking 19 years old. He's, he's so good. Yeah, like he's after so good. We obviously don't get to watch a ton of Bundesliga and – this whole tournament he's he i think he's probably been their best player at this tournament and um yeah it's concerning <laughs> yeah uh it's it's concerning until it's you know if it ends up with one of our two teams which he's not favored you know we're not the most popular pick i don't think either one of our teams i think um i'm also at least only one of us I'm is re- concerned then well i'm well what i what i mean to say is i'm getting i'm officially putting him also in that category of Come on, Real Madrid. Do you want to pay like ninety million for him right now, or like two hundred million in a couple of years? You should just probably get him now if he's not going to go to Chelsea. Just pay the right? two hundred now. Just pay the two hundred. Come on, Real. Like you'll have Camavinga, Chumeni, and Bellingham for the next ten years. Come on, wouldn't that be fun for you? Just just so it's not a Chelsea problem. Yeah, that's all right. Just so I, I don't it, have to look across the league and be like, oh, we're playing that guy twice. Shit. Well, and the great news is that you got your Champions League, and I already gave up on winning a Champions League, so neither of us even have to worry about it. Um, Absolutely. But that's all about, That's all I really got on that one. Um, we're running long here, but real quick, let's just dive into these two semifinal fixtures. Um, Argentina versus Croatia. You got any we've, – we've broken these teams down pretty hard. Do you have any, like, overarching <laughs> thoughts about this game, like this matchup specifically? I, I think the first thing I want to say is, like, 
So we all want to see Argentina, France, right? That feels like the two best teams at this tournament playing against each other, right? Because of that, I have this very weird feeling that we're going to see Croatia in penalty kicks come up large again. And then all Morocco wants to do is play back and let you have the ball and then be efficient on the counterattack. And France would sure like to have, like, you know what I mean? It's one of those, like, every team in this, every team left in this tournament is playing against a team that's going to allow them to do what they do best. And I think that's kind of a styles make fights thing. Yeah, this, uh, I think specifically this one, this Croatia Argentina match, we could see Croatia has a lot of moxie about them. Um, they're smart. They know how to win these games. They've been there before. I'm not saying Argentina hasn't. They're obviously the reigning defending Copa America champions. Um, but that said, like Croatia's, they were they were just at a final. They and they, they look experienced team too. Like, and they they look more defensively stout, I think, than they did in um, 2018. Like they they look like they know how to win almost even better than they did in 2018. If that makes sense i know it's weird to say for a team that got to the final but they like they had that blow up in the final obviously they kind of got really exploited by france they don't look like they have them in that like that type of blow up in them this time you know what i mean they look like there's no chance they're gonna go out and give up four goals to argentina it doesn't feel like no it it doesn't and I, i also don't know that argentina feels like they have four goals in them right in the past like the criticism of the Argentinian teams have been that they're too attacking minded, leaving themselves open at the back. Right. And we just saw this with the Dutch, right? If you get some big guys up there, you can, you can scramble them a little bit at the end, but in general, Argentina has done a much better job of controlling the game, right. With the midfield, with their defenders, moving the ball around. And then you get that ball in a messy man and anything can happen. I, I, I'm really looking forward to it for the, for the narrative especially, right? I'd love for Modric to get one here, right? And get back to another final. But I think this is this is Messi's <coughs> to lose here, man. And I think um, I'm going to take your bit here for a second, and I'm going to be the midfield guy. Um, Argentina hasn't faced a midfield that's even close to this Croatian midfield. Um, by far the best midfield they're going to, face here at this tournament probably as a whole croatia is one of the what two or three best ones we said even coming into the tournament that was their huge huge strength um and look argentina's midfield's been up to it and the opponents and then the fixtures they've had so far but uh, this is a midfield that can quite possibly play their midfield off the pitch so can they get to that level and play the way they have like you referenced and controlling the game a bit more but I think that's a fascinating matchup for Argentina. Yeah, I, I they've kind of gone with a younger midfield, Argentina, right? They've got Enzo Fernandez, who had that really nice goal earlier on in the tournament and then kind of the boneheaded play. He's been a conversation of a lot of people about, like, who's rising their stock, right? Who's Who's becoming a kind of guy at the international level here? So I think, like, if he can be the fourth best midfielder in this game, right? They're, they've Argentina's got a really good shot here, right? Um, he needs to rise to the occasion. 
And I just don't know that Modric and Kovacic and Brozovic are going to let him do that, right? If there's anybody more experienced or tougher to play against, I don't know who that is. Right. And I I don't think it's even a question of um, winning the midfield. I don't see a scenario where Argentina wins the midfield in this game. Argentina needs a scenario where they don't lose this game in the midfield. You know, they need to just it kind of net even it or just not get outplayed too hard and get the ball to those like that attack as good as a guy like Guardiola and the fullback Sosa, like we said, have been. Mm-hmm. I, I would fancy this attacking line of Argentina against them. And it's a matter of making sure you let those guys get into the game. It's messy. I don't think Messi is going to get taken out of a game either way. He'll, he'll go deep. He'll collect it. He'll make these crazy 40 yard runs with the ball from his defensive half. But um, they got to get the ball up to those forwards and try to get some goals. Cause I'm with you. They've, this is not a classic a kind of this, uh, but I, well, I'm more saying this isn't like a classic Argentina where like you said, they're too offensive and they're going to go for it. They've been really stout defensively and like really good yeah. in the midfield. Like you said, they haven't been generating, they, they haven't been a just surplus offensive chance team. They've been pretty clinical with the chances they've gotten though. Uh, I think Alvarez has really been really good. My boy at city. He's been quite good at this tournament yeah, too, along with good. Messi. He's um, been good. Um, Di Maria has been solid, it from I think, every, too. But, like, that's the thing with Argentina. It's like they've got it from everywhere, right? Like, the fact that Julian Alvarez is keeping Lataro on the bench, right, is huge, right? Because they were they get into this thing a lot of time where a lot of their players fit the same physical profile, right? Like, Messi can't like Messi has to be the smallest like attacker on your field, right? You need to have other guys who do different things. Like Julian Alvarez is a bigger guy than than Martinez is, and then Dabala is too. And I think that's been really good. Yeah, and overall, I think like we said, um, if they can at least be somewhat even in this midfield, I'd fancy Argentina in this game, but. Um, that's that's where this game's going to be won or lost, I think, for the Argentines. Because if Croatia can just totally boss them and just not let that attack and that defense for this Argentine team link at all, Argentina's going to have a lot of trouble breaking them down. Um, but kind of segueing that onto breaking teams down, uh, the team that's been the hardest to break down for most teams lately <laughs> seems to be Morocco. And um, probably their stiffest test of... The tournament so far, I'd say almost certainly in France, this oh, is a team sure. that um, has been pretty good at breaking almost anybody down in world football over the last couple of years. Uh, what do you think? Do you think Morocco is going to be able to pull off another shocker or is France going back to another final, my man? I, I'd love to see. I'd love to see Argentina, France, right? However, if you, I'm, I would be let, I would be more surprised by Croatia going through, I think, than Morocco going through at this point. Like, I think it's time we we officially bring up Ashraf Hakimi for Player of the Tournament, because like, if they beat Mbappe here, Hakimi's going to have to do something special, and it will mean that while Mbappe is going to take the Golden Boot, probably, right? The Player of the Tournament's going to have to be Hakimi, man, like. If they get through here, it's going to have to be a really special performance because he's going to need to do what Hakimi's going to need to do what he does best, and he's going to which is get forward and attack. But he's also going to have to play a little Kyle Walker ball, right? He's also going to have to be a defensive menace and play with discipline. 
Right. And I think that's bulk market right away. If, if France continues to deploy Kylian Mbappe out on the left, like they have this tournament and he's going one-on-one with Hakimi, his teammate at PSG. Um, that's the match. That that's the game. That's that's where the game's going to be won or lost. I think right there. Um, yeah, that's that's your best. That's your best guy on my best guy. We'll see. Best on best. Yeah. Yep. And their and, teammates. They do this all the time. This is right. This is not going to be a surprise. Right. And I I'm I'm fascinated. As soon as I kind of connected two and two and was like, oh, these guys are going to unless unless France does something different, these guys are going to be going head to head. Um. Look, I think England, I, I alluded to it a minute ago, I think they did. Their game plan to neutralize Mbappe was amazing. Just an amazing, and amazing game plan. Um, Morocco might be able to emulate that, man. And look, um, if you're France, maybe you take that. If you say, okay, Morocco's going to put two guys on Mbappe the entire game, we're going to trust our other nine attackers against their eight defenders, and we're... Which I think that's true. France has got more quality than the Portuguese or anybody else the Moroccans have played. But it gets really interesting, man, if um, they're able to kind of emulate what the English did against Mbappe. Yeah, and I, and I think it's more maybe that England took a page out of Morocco's book, right, for their stalwart defense on this. Because Morocco's been the toughest team to play against, man. Like... They just have to continue do like that's what I was talking about with the styles making the fight, right? What Morocco does best is they're incredibly disciplined and they hit you on the counter, right? They have great players when they can run, right? You they're like sitting they're sitting there basically being like, please throw a fullback forward. Please. We'd love to get like Ziek on the ball and Hakimi sprinting around overlapping on him, right? Like, please do that. Please come in forward and attack us, because we're not gonna be out of position. You got to do something crazy to get through us, and we'll do something crazy to get through you. Hundred percent. And this is a team that hasn't—they haven't given up a goal since like their first game. I'm pretty Ever. sure. <laughs> yeah, I think they gave up a goal in their first uh, group stage game. They haven't conceded that like since. So, yeah. or wait, sorry, they gave up one against Canada in that final group game. But that was even yeah. like a weird deflected goal that went in like kind of by accident type of thing. Yeah. Um. So this. Look, they're legitimately, they've looked like one of the, probably the most organized, well-defensively organized team at this tournament of any team. And that goes far in this type of knockout football, man. And we obviously know this France team has goals in them, but we saw it last game. Like, if they get frustrated for 74 minutes or something, and then Morocco plays a ball over the top and... Look, you'd like to think he doesn't again, but what if what if Taylor Hernandez runs somebody over again? Yeah, you know? man, you got Hernandez playing center field back there, like because that's the other part of it. It looked like a second baseman who didn't hear his center fielder call him off on that or whatever. But like, you know, like that's that's all they need, man. I really trust Morocco to be effective with a chance if they get it. Right, and we didn't even get into like Upa Makano last game. He was flirting with penalties. Oh, he's flirting with penalties a couple yeah. times himself. He he had the one that was the foul that didn't get called. It was right outside the box though, where they went to VAR. It was maybe seven inches outside the box. He's he's trying to get away with it by having them pronounce his name weird in this tournament. I don't know if you've heard that, but it's like instead of Upa Makano, it's like Upa or like Upa Kanemeno, like. They're saying it in a different way than I've always heard it saying. And 
he's not going to push that by me. We're going to recognize shaky defending back there, even if you change your name, okay? This isn't witness protection. You can't just move somewhere else, change your name, and it's all going to be fine. Yeah, you might make me miss one or two of your mistakes, but not as many as you're making right now. Right, I'm, I might but, go look it up and be like, who the hell is playing back? I know who that is. That's Dio. I know. You can't can't trick me. can't trick me. Right. I see it. But I, I think that's just... France has shown that they have some shakiness back there. They're basically just those defenders look really, really aggressive. And look, you nip in against a Ziek or something and catch him. He's a shifty, tricky player and he could draw. I could see them drawing a penalty. And if they're able to keep one out of their net, dude, who knows? I, this, uh, this Morocco such a, team, such a threat from set pieces too, is the other thing. It's like, if you hack something, yeah. you got to hack down Hakimi, Ziek is standing over that thing and he'll make you pay. Like, if you ever want to see like Ziek at his best, which he's been in this tournament, but like there's that IX Chelsea game where he bait, like it ends four, four in the champions league. It's insane. But like he took over that first half. It's an incredible highlight to go watch, but like he can absolutely make you pay if you give him one shot. hundred percent. And um, look, we, we know that Morocco's blueprint to win this game. We know what it's going to be. Um, Look, I fancy France in this fixture. I, I would, if you, if I'm putting money on it, I'm putting my money on France, but I don't think it's going to be easy. And look, this Morocco, it feels a lot. And granted, I wasn't watching the sport at this point, but I've watched uh, like docu-series about it in the past. It feels a lot like Greece at the Euros and what was that, 2000 or whatever, where they just, mm-hmm. they kept just kind of grinding one out, grinding clean sheets and just kind of clean cheated their way to a European championship when there were way, way better teams than them. And yeah, Morocco's got that kind of feeling of magic about them at the same time. So uh, it's going to well, be interesting. Plus, they, plus there's the fans the there. and they've, yeah, they've got the home advantage, but like, you know, the, the Greece, the, the, the Greek basically just threw out a bunch of Papadopoulos at you and you had to deal with it. It's like, yep, they're in the way and they're pretty tall and Morocco's doing that to some point, but like Hakimi's the best right back in the world right now. Right. Mm-hmm. Ziek is playing like the talent Chelsea thought they were getting when he brought him in. Buffal over on the left is like, you know, if you were just drafting attackers right in this game, right from both teams, if you're just playing pickup and is the first pick. But I think Ziek has been the second best attacker in this, you know, out of the, the front three for Morocco and the front three for France. Right. Like we talked about Giroud being good, but I was going to say, maybe don't sleep on the just, French forehead. No, but Nesri just did that. Nesri just did French forehead stuff. He just way out jumped somebody and put it in the back of the net and finished what could only be generously called a half chance, right? I mean, like, Morocco's finishing has not been great at this tournament, but if if they're not even letting you get a good shot off, right, their keeper's been great, Bono. Like, I'm I'm really hoping we're setting up for two really good games here. And again, thank God they're on a Tuesday and a Wednesday so we can – scrap to try to watch him here thanks fifa yeah thanks guys i got 30 bucks if you move it to a thursday friday for you we already yes 60 the say the offer from earlier stands (laughs) maybe go to the atm we're getting down to like 54 but 60 bucks these games have to happen midweek and i'm not even asking for them to be on at a reasonable time because i understand time differences but no 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 we have to play tuesday and then we have to play again on wednesday it's like you just play these games in one day and then everybody would have the same amount of rest no you don't care all right. Okay, fine. What are, what are I say deciding? screw it. What are we deciding things based on? You're not even pretending it's not corruption at this point. You're I say screw pretending. it. We punt both these games to Saturday, and then the next Saturday, we just extend the tournament. And no, we play you're the missing out. Next Saturday. Triple header Saturday. 
right? You make Argentina, <laughs> Croatia play first. They go to play the winner of France, Morocco, right? So you get the 9 a.m., then you get the 11 a.m., and then everybody plays at 1 p.m., right? AAU basketball style. We just say like these games in. That Little League Baseball cool Tournament I'm, Championship Sunday. I'm sorry if you're tired. Both teams will be tired, but you'll be more tired than them, so you'll just have to play better. Fine, figure it out. Like, God, I hate people. When I was a little I'm kid, one time, when I was a little kid one time, we um we were down in Florida and we I was playing like youth American football and we had to play two youth football games in like four hours. So we played our first game and look, I was playing like offense, defense, special teams, and not getting off the field for essentially ranked tight end. <laughs> essentially five to six straight hours of just chasing people or chasing footballs or uh it was a it was a tough car ride home that uh that that mcdonald's in the car ride home hit different man absolutely had to take the orange high c that day had to. the <laughs> only thing that could possibly help um but yeah man so these games are on tuesday and wednesday so we'll probably be back to talk to you guys about it then um one more thing, I think, before we kind of wrap up and go here, Spencer, but what do you think of all this, Gio- to bring it back to the men's national team, because that's what we do best here, but like, what do you think about this Giovanni Reyna stuff leaking out about Greg after the tournament here? Um, Not to take such an abrupt turn, but. Yeah, we should, we should sneak this in. Start real quick. So, yeah. so essentially. Um, and you sent this to me, so I only kind of just touched it, but just to set the table a little bit, basically, uh, it came out Greg in an interview, I believe with some outlet said that there was a player. He didn't say who, but I think everybody's kind of speculating it's Gio Reyna. Um, he said that a player was being disruptive and, um, detrimental to squad chemistry and such like that. And that they were talking about sending him home from the tournament and, Basically, the coaching staff and teammates kind of had to step in and get this guy back on side. Um, so, yeah, the internet, you know, is a lit. You, us, Twitter is a lit with thinking it's Gio Reyna, and that's why he wasn't getting into this tournament. But um, I don't know. It's not a great look. I just wish it stayed under wraps, yeah. kind of. <laughs> and it kind of started with – it all started with – Gio had a banger for Dortmund in a friendly on what day was that Friday, Saturday, he scored a banger. Yeah. He scored a banger on Saturday. And then, so that's the first thing you saw about it. So I saw Reyna trending and I was like, Oh God, it's going to be something else about that. Nope. Awesome goal. Then you scroll down a little bit. Um, The original thing was like, he put in the USMNT played a like friendly versus like a local Qatari club team. Right as like a tune-up, right? Not televised or anything else. You know what I mean? Like behind closed doors, just getting ready for the game. And like Gio put in such like a lackadaisical poor effort in that game that it started there. And then like it kind of carried over. And then when he didn't get in in Wales and Jordan Morris went in over him, he like went over the top about it to the point where like Yedlin and Long, like Greg gives this story to whatever reporter, right? talking about like, oh, we have such good leadership on this team, right? That like Yedlin and Long really talked to this young guy who was having a bad attitude about it. But all you're doing is airing out Reyna, right? It's just such a bad look, man, especially from somebody who should be trying to like 
bring USMNT fans back over to his side, which they're not online right now, right? They're, they definitely don't want him to come back before this, and this is not helping, man. Yeah, it's it's a tough look on both sides because, look, I think if you're Geo, you're a young player, it's got to be frustrating that – uh, look, we all know it. We all agree that the Jordan Morris thing's dumb and stuff, but uh, you, you got to have the right attitude about it. You got to be a good team guy. Um, if it is, in fact, him, which I don't want to speculate. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. allegedly. But look, um, I, I think it goes both ways that if you're Greg or the manager, if he's still the manager, the next manager, whatever we end up with, you got to get this guy on side because talent wise, it's probably our best player. I think we kind of all acknowledge that. That's why everybody's so frustrated that he got so little game time at this tournament. Um, but if you're geo and things aren't going your way necessarily, you, you got to stay on side too. You got to be a good team guy. You don't, especially at little tournaments like this, where we've talked about the chemistry of this team's looked so good. You, you don't want to mess up the vibes type of thing, you know? So I, I don't know. It's, it's tough both ways. And just hopefully this whole thing gets ironed out. Yeah, man, not to end on kind of a bummer downer note, but if something happens with the men's national team, we are always going to bring it right to you. And one other thing we have to talk about, which I can't believe we kind of forgot about it. When you said journalist and talked about America, it made me think about it. Grant Wall, dude. Grant Wall, man. Um, One of my absolute favorite writers for the USMNT like for a long time like that's who I think of right if there's like a report about the USMNT and like other stuff too man like I'm a huge college basketball fan right like there's a very famous like cover of Sports Illustrated story I can picture of and it's the you know the great wall of Kentucky when John Wall went to play for um University of Kentucky right with John Calipari cover of Sports Illustrated means a lot to me right? Especially at that time. And he wrote that piece too, man. Like in, in case you don't know, he, he, I don't want to say mysteriously, but it doesn't quite add up to me. Something happened where he passed away during the Netherlands, Argentina game, right? Like shortly after his 48th birthday seemed to overall be a healthy guy, right? Nobody's been able to say, you know, any like health stuff has come out and it's been heartbreaking, touching tributes, man. It's been it's been almost tough to watch. Like the crazy thing is, um, look, I follow a lot of American journalists, obviously. Um, we're, we're, we're enamored with this team. So obviously we throw a lot of stuff out, especially doing the podcast. Now we throw out a lot of reports from different guys. And um, on Friday night, I, Andrew and I were actually playing FIFA with one another and um I happened to look at Twitter like between games and saw Grant Wall die. Yeah. He's like, he's like, what? And I was like, oh, like that is crazy. Like he's not old. Like I'm mixing him up with somebody else. Like this is, he's like, yeah, we were just talking about him on the podcast about like the rainbow shirt thing. And that's kind of what we're getting into that there's been, I, what's the proper way to say this? I guess he's been a bit of a, I'm not making i'm not making accusations at people but he's made it maybe a bit uncomfortable for Qatari officials at this tournament he's a true journalistic reporter right right he's not interested in what is easy and like the state line and you know what i mean like he is not for your propaganda right Mm -hmm. and the same reason he's that's always made him a good follow 
and a good person to read his USMNT coverage is because he's not going to sugarcoat it and he gets great access and does all the legwork, right? Is the same reason he's going to, all right, Qatar, right? You guys say you're going to be accepting of people, right? Even though you're not, you're going to be good for these couple of weeks. I'm going to walk in with a rainbow shirt on. Oh, you're going to detain. Like he's that type of guy. He's going to push you on your principles. And then to see something like this happen, man, it's just horrible. Sorry. Yeah, he's definitely, yeah. And he's, he's definitely um, pushed the Qataris at this tournament. And I think that leads into the being a bit suspicious that a guy who um, his brother obviously came out, said he was completely healthy. And um, it's, Look, I understand that this life thing that we all are experiencing, it's fragile and it can end at any moment, but it's certainly at least a little bit peculiar, I guess you can say, that a relatively healthy 48-year-old man just happens to drop dead after um, being, a bit of, yeah, being a bit of a thorn in official sides but um we don't have to get into all that well i'm sure that's all gonna play itself out but um it's absolutely something if there's any update ever we'll be you know we'll always talk about it he's for sure to be a really good guy and there's been a lot of um really really emotional really good journalists and stuff like that giving their uh take on him i mean even rob stone who's working for fox who has to sit there and you know promote Qatar during this tournament, right? They have the television rights and everything else, you know, gives a pretty emotional, you know, eulogy type thing before the game. But yeah. So not enough, not enough from the Fox and the people covering is what I'll say. Yeah. Cause he worked um, there for like eight years. Yeah. I, I, I agree, a, but a little cold, but um, yeah, the whole situation is just shitty and sucks, man. And, um, like we said, if we hear anything else, um, we feel weirded out about the whole thing. The whole thing came as a shock. And I think just all we can really do at this time is express that um, our condolences to his family and yeah. just, you know, hope that they find peace because for, for our, our, not just his family, but, you know, anybody that worked with him, because uh, like we said, we're just two guys that follow this team and he's always been a guy that's been a staple for us. So um, it's jarring for us. And we didn't even know, like personally know the guy. So, yeah. Yep. Um, but, shitty note to end on, man. Um, but but, but it, an important one. It's it's not. I mean, not us not doing our job, but it mattered, right? It, it yeah. It mattered. It mattered to us, and if something matters to us, we're always going to tell you. Well, it's it's just one more, you know, kind of shade over this tournament as a whole. Um, yes. When we look at it in the end, because it's it's awesome. It's. Look, there's there's all the FIFA stuff. We we love this sport, obviously. All of us, if you're listening to this, are, you're listening to it because you love the sport, I'm sure. And um, or or yeah. one of us. Hello, relatives. Hey. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's just a really shitty, shitty thing, and it just it, it's it's going to go into the book of knocks against this tournament. And I don't know. Hopefully, hopefully, we're not having these discussions surrounding a World Cup again. And it, a little more ironed up but um otherwise um we still love the soccer man and we're we're still going to be back talking about it because uh we love this sport and we'll be back to talk about these semifinals later this yeah, week yeah, and preview yeah. a final my friend yeah we'll, we'll be back to uh give you the details on the nitty-gritty as we get down to the final four here semifinals but uh unless you got anything else spencer i think it's uh, about time for us to get out of here man 
Yeah, I, um, only thing I got is to uh, follow us on social because we're popping off a little Trending. bit. People Trending. are kind of realizing, you know, we're funny. So at Fish Fries Pod with some heat, a couple more games to get some heat out of. I was even throwing out some U.S. It was a, totally an accident, but I even threw out some UFC heat from the account last night. I was laughing so hard at that. So it was supposed uh, to be for yeah. my personal account, but uh, whoops. It was not. No, but couple, the general one, one, one too many whiskey who, sodas. If you're uh, if you're wondering who tweeted it, if there's a GIF, it was Spencer. If there's a or if there you know meme of some type, it was Spencer for sure. If it's just a dumb pun and then a typo, it's for sure me. <laughs> woot, woot, everybody but yeah follow us on social at fish fries pod if uh you made it this far into the pod and you like what you hear please hit that follow button uh drop a review maybe a five star rating that really helps us out gets us off the ground here a little more and um lets us know you guys like what we're hearing be f- also be sure if you do get to us on social you know tell us what you want to hear we'd, we'd love yeah, to man. get a little engagement tell us that uh what you want us to talk about, all that, and we'll see what we can get to, man. But uh, yeah, otherwise, I think we're ready to get out of here because we're running long on this one, my friend. Yeah, we are. As always, running long on this one. But uh, appreciate it, man. Thank you, buddy. Hey, just like uh, extra time at this tournament. There's just Absolutely. there's plenty of extra time at the end of this. Um, but yeah. If you thought um, you were getting a 90-minute pod, you haven't been paying attention to how the stoppage time's working. <laughs> Uh, but 155 time, we're 155 right now i feel like that's just that's a 90 minute fixture at the yeah, world cup I'm about, so we're I'm, just I'm about, to, I'm about to drop a set play to take my dog outside but uh <laughs> see if uh louis van hall can get us home here but uh i appreciate it man thanks all man. right take care talk to you guys soon